If you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 37. And our springboard this morning will be verse 16 and 17. Of course, our hearts and minds have been turned toward the great blessing of prayer. I know we've been taught a lot about prayer this week. If we have been up at Camp Moriah, but some of you were not able to go and enjoy uh, some of the wonderful teaching that we had. And just as I heard different Bible studies and different messages, our own hearts and minds, of course, were turned toward this great blessing. This is a great part of our salvation, is our ability to have fellowship with God. And that's what prayer really is. It's practicing fellowship with God, and that's the title of our message this morning, practicing fellowship with God. For you see, my dear brothers and sisters, my beloved ones, salvation is not just that we might enjoy heaven one day, but it's that we might enjoy heaven in part right now while we're living in this world. And being able to have access to the heart of the Father, to be able to come boldly to a throne of grace, to unburden our souls, to hear from Him, to have fellowship with Him is one of the delights of the child of God while they live here upon this earth. And I loved one of the points that Brother Timothy Guest made that about prayer, that prayer is not something that's cheap, that prayer and our access to God is blood-bought by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I did enjoy so much what you uh, spoke to us about this morning, Brother Robert, about prayer and how that you minister to the church in prayer. Brother Kevin was talking the other day, said, man, I need to get me a prayer partner again. Well, just seek one out, Brother Kevin, and, and get you one. There's plenty here that uh, are willing to be that prayer partner for you. And it is so true that it is the prayer of faith that um, God really hears and has power in our lives. Thank you again uh, for that. So the way that I've kind of designed the message this morning, we're going to go four, three, two, one uh, through the message this morning. Uh, that kind of means we have a lot of points, but <laughs> we're going to go through it quickly. So uh, just ask that you would join me in this journey through God's scriptures that we would learn how to better practice our fellowship with God through prayer. So here we have an instance of King Hezekiah's prayer in Isaiah 37. And this is what most of the prayers really look like in the scriptures. I would say the bulk of the prayers that you read in the scriptures are full of petition. And, and that is a lot what our prayers are about, that God is allowing us to come to him and ask him to help us. Oh, and how much we need him, amen. Aren't you glad that we have one to go to that says, if you'll just prove me, if you'll trust me, this is what he says to you, that I will open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out blessings upon you that you can't contain. He said to us, if you've had natural fathers, that know how to give good things to you, 
How much more I, your Father in heaven, love to give good things to my children. And so most of the bulk of the prayers in the Bible, not all, but most of the bulk of the prayers are prayers of petition. And so King Hezekiah and the nation was in a desperate place here. This wicked king, this conquering king that had conquered all these other nations around them, destroyed their gods, destroyed their temples, took their people captive, had come against the nation of Judah. And he sent letters uh, to the king and, and to the leader saying, look, you know, why don't y'all just lay down your arms? Let me just come in and y'all just all surrender to me because I faced all these other nations around here. They had gods. They prayed to them. They had armies. And we came, we saw, we conquered, like Julius Caesar said. So why don't y'all just give up? You know, and isn't that the same thing the devil would like to say to all of us in all of our lives, right? But we have God. We have one that we can go to. And so the story in other places is that Hezekiah took these letters and he took them into the temple and he laid them before the Lord and he prayed this prayer. Verse 15, Isaiah 37. He wanted fellowship with God. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. So Hezekiah is acknowledging at the very beginning, yes, this king has conquered these other nations, but those nations haven't been your nation. He said he has destroyed and overcome all these other gods, but they weren't really gods. You are the true God. And so I come to you, Lord, and here it is. And this is what's, what's wonderful. And, and we know that God doesn't necessarily, God the Father doesn't have eyes and ears. But this is personification. This is the Holy Spirit using words and language of which we can view and that we can understand God. Now, we know that God, man, the Lord Jesus Christ, our intercessor, the man at God, God's right hand, uh, our paracl and our paraclete, the Holy Spirit, uh, is there as well. Jesus Christ does have ears. Jesus Christ does uh, have eyes. But this is what he prays. It says, incline. That means bend down your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, Sennacherib which I sent to reproach the living God. And I love the way that Hezekiah calls upon the glory of God. He said, Lord, yes, our danger, this city, our nation is in peril, and a lot of things are at stake for us. But, Lord, what's paramount is your glory, your honor, your name, who you are. And beloved, when we pray that way, God gets interested in our prayers because his Glory is the ultimate end of everything that God does, and so it should be. And so it should be. And we need to remember that when we pray. Well, what's wonderful is Israel didn't have to draw a bow. Israel didn't have, uh, Judah didn't have to throw a javelin. A chariot wheel didn't have to run. God sent down one angel. Hallelujah. Yeah. And one night, he destroyed that whole army that lay before him and they fled 
in the night away from the presence of the Lord. And Sennacherib went back and was assassinated by his, by his own court because of his failure. This one that had made this great boast against the people of God and against God himself. Do you rejoice in that? How God, God had determined all along to do that. But isn't it wonderful how that he used the prayer that he stirred up in Hezekiah to be the means to accomplish his sovereign will. You see, beloved, there's no tension. That's one of the main things that I want you to understand, and it'll be the last point that we make, but we're going to mention it at the, at the beginning because that's where we're headed. There's no tension between God's sovereign ordination of all things and the efficacy of your prayers. Isn't that wonderful to know? What you pray and how you pray, it matters. It's real. It counts. And God uses it. And God chooses to use it in a way that accomplishes His sovereign ordained purposes in this world and in our lives and in our day. So I just think that that's so beautiful. Prayer is practicing fellowship with God. We know that this is to be done in private. Every one of us should have a secret life with God. Amen. Brother Zach, in his uh, sermon Monday night, he mentioned David Brainerd and his journals. If you haven't read them, I encourage you to do so. They'll, they'll set you on fire. Uh, if you read that and then you read uh, the uh, autobiography of George Mueller, you'll wonder if you've ever prayed at all <laughs> because of how these men prayed. I remember about David Brainerd. Uh, it said one time he was traveling on his horse to preach to the Indians in the Northeast, and he got in this terrible thunderstorm. It began to hail and pour down, and many of you know that he had tuberculosis that, was, that he was dying of. And he was in this forest. He was all alone. And he said uh, there was no shelter. There was nowhere I could go. He said, uh, so he just got down underneath his horse. And he said, I just began to pray uh, uh, through the lightning, through the thunder, through the storm. I just began to pour out my heart to God. At this point, he had not had any converts in his evangelism to the Indians. And he said, after about two hours in, in prayer, uh, the storm passed by. The sun came out. The birds began to sing. And I was under that horse and I felt myself to be in the center of the will of God. And he got back on his horse and, and he went down and he preached. And that old drunk interpreter that he had, uh, his interpreter, he said it made him so sad because he, the only person he had that could interpret her was this drunk Indian. And he said I would pay him for interpreting him and I felt so bad because I knew he was going to go buy liquor with it. He said, but that day, as he began to preach, and he preached about the crucifixion of Christ that tears began to come down the face of that drunk Indian. And at the end, he turned and he said, I need to be baptized. I need to be Christ. And revival began among those Indians. Now God, as we said, had determined to do that before the foundation of the world. But he also determined not only the end, but the means and the prayers of the man of God Underneath that horse. Oh, it's to be done in private. We're to have a secret life with God. Jesus taught that in Matthew 6, didn't he? He said, don't be like the Pharisees that want to just stand. Jesus was 
standing in public and on the street corner. Jesus was not condemning public prayer. Jesus prayed in public. He taught the disciples to pray with one another. It's to be done in uh, private, in your closet, uh, on your way to work, uh, when uh, at any moment. Pray without ceasing, right? Pray without ceasing. But it's, and it's also to be done. Have a secret life with God, uh, sister. Um, um, Haley, sorry. Sister Haley was talking to me about uh, getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning so that she could go have a run and a walk with Jesus. That's beautiful to me, right? That you want that to start your day in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Let me practice this fellowship with God. And as we have done today in the company of others, we know great God did, accomplished and did great things we read through the book of Acts and the power of the Spirit and how that God was moving among the early church to be, to be praying, praying together. We know that God had determined to set Peter free from prison. But what was going on during the night as God was sending the angel, his people were what? They were praying together. And God had ordained the end, but he was also ordaining the means as well, and bringing that together in perfect harmony. And so we realize that, that this is part of the activity that we're involved in when we are practicing prayer and our fellowship with God. And so I really want to give you on, on our four, we're going to go four, three, two, one, we're going to start four here, is just four aspects that should be in your prayers, four things. We find these in the model prayer. We find these in almost every prayer in the Bible. The first is adoration. There should be adoration. Second, there should be confession. Third, there should be thanks. And then fourth, there should be petition. Adoration is when we spend time in prayer. It's not like that we're trying to uh, put the smooths on God. You know, oh God, you're, you're so great. And the more I can say about how awesome that you are, I know that's going to make you want to listen to me, you know, because, you know, like we could puff up God's vanity, you know. Uh, you know, like a, maybe a wife might do her husband, oh, honey, you're so strong. You, you do things so good. Uh, uh, the shower upstairs is broke. <laughs> right? You know, we're not trying to put the smooths on God, but it, it is like... Uh, we are coming to his throne. We're coming into his majesty. Like when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and, and the holiness around God. How could we not be in awe and, and take a moment when we come into his presence and his fellowship just to acknowledge some of that? Oh, Lord, you're glorious. You're... you're, you're uh, you're so full of, of majesty. And, and so David was so good at that, wasn't he? He always was speaking and encouraging his own heart, beginning his psalms and prayers with the glory of God, the infinite excellencies of God. Even sometimes, you know, Paul would just, he would be talking and he would just burst out uh, into a praise and adoration of God uh, to the only wise God, right? He would say, he's the king immortal, invisible, 
Oh, there's none like him. And so, in our prayers, our prayers should be full of adoration of God, of praise to God. That's the way that Jesus began. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Praising God for who he is, uh, meditating on his glory all the time, knowing that uh, he is seeking my good. Isn't that wonderful? God has two great avenues that his decrees run in. His glory and the good of his people. So how wonderful when we're practicing fellowship with God, when we're in prayer to God, that we're proclaiming his glory, all the while knowing while I'm proclaiming his glory, his mind is seeking my good. Isn't that powerful? To realize and to know this about God. And so, just a good example of that. I'm not going to go to it for time's sake. But in in your time, if you say, Brother Nathan, I want to see an example of that. Go to uh, 1 Chronicles 29.11. Not today, but just later on today. Go and look at that Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. Such a great example of how to approach God. This is a king talking to the king of kings, right? This is a wealthy man, a wise man, talking to the him that owns the cattle on the thousand hills and all the gold of over to the wisest of all who had even given him the wisdom that he had. Look at that. And then think about in your daily prayers. Think about how your daily... You know, think about, beloved how Jesus prayed. You know, one of the themes of camp this week was, Lord, teach us how to pray. Why did they did they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray just because they wanted the nuts and bolts? Okay, how do we do this thing? No. It was that when they listened to Jesus pray, when they saw Jesus praying, they said, there's something different about that prayer. I'll, what they were saying is, oh, Lord, we want to learn to pray like you pray. Because it's different than how we pray. Teach us. They're not just saying teach us how to practice fellowship with God. But Lord, teach us how you do it. We want to do it how you do it. So what did Jesus pray for? Did Jesus pray, Lord, keep us all safe. Lord, help us to all have a good day. And those are good prayers. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad to pray those things. But if we want to go deeper, if we want to get into the center of the will of God... So look at Jesus' prayers. Look at what Jesus prayed for. Pray for what Jesus prayed for. Get into the heart of God. Adore Him in your prayers. Confession. I'll go, if you want to learn about confession, go to Psalm 51. And read David's confession there. Uh, don't take time to do it today. We could go there. But you're all familiar with it. You know as he says, Lord, wash me. Cleanse me. Create me a new heart and a right spirit. Lord, I need your hyssop. I need your nighter, Lord, that only you can give. Wash me in the balmy blood of the Redeemer, Lord. And, and, he, and he just gets right with God. He, we must confess uh, being honest with God about our lives and our great need of His grace. I remember there was a young minister one time and I listened to him pray often. And one time we were just speaking together and we were encouraging one another. 
And he asked me, he said, Brother Nathan, is there anything about uh, my ministry that you see that, you know, I could improve on, which is a very humble thing even to, to ask someone. And I said, well, I said, I'm sure that you do this in private. I said, but every time that I've heard you pray in public, I've never heard you ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And you would have thought that I'd hit him uh, with a wrecking ball. With a because he immediately the Holy Spirit like brought that home to him. I'll never I'll never forget uh, what time that happened to me with Brother Wallace. He asked me about that verse, pure religion before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widow in your affliction, keep yourself unspotted from the world. He said, Do you believe that? Brother Nathan, I said, Yes, sir. And he said, What are you doing about it? And I was like, Gee, Wow. But I want you to know every time I've heard that man pray since then ever i've never heard him pray again without asking the lord to forgive him of his sins that's awesome isn't it we 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 should be that you know that's in that model prayer it's always needs to be there lord forgive me i confess uh, my sins to you now that don't mean you know that you you air your dirty laundry in front of others uh, this would definitely be, especially in detail, it would be at times of that secret life with God. Listen, there's some ugly things about each one of us. If we knew and heard about each other, we'd never be able to get it out of our minds, right? Because we're sinners. Aren't you glad that God knows it all, that even the deepest, darkest, filthiest, grossest thing that you've thought or done, he's already forgiven, and he knew that, even before Christ died, that you were going to do those things. And so, isn't it wonderful that, that we do have someone, even in, in those things, that we would just even be ashamed. Yet we can still go to Him, even with those things, and, and confess. And then there's Thanksgiving, Psalm 107. You, again, don't go there. Just write these down. First Chronicles 29, 11, look at it. Psalm 51, look at it. Psalm 107, showing our, our gratitude for all of his blessings, but especially the greatest blessing of all, which is himself and the relationship that we have with him. There should always be that in, in your prayer, even before that you ever get to petition. Do y'all know I noticed I put petition last? Usually we put petition first, right? But really in good prayers, biblical, scriptural prayers, these other things really should come first. Not that you couldn't ever go to God and ask for something first. Of course you could. But don't neglect these other things. Remember even when Jesus healed the lepers? I think there were seven of them. And they were so excited about being healed. They just, they just man, they wanted to run back, show that they had been, been healed, and go back to their lives or do the thing. And, and the one, man, he was on his way and something caught him. And he turned around and he went back and he found Jesus. He said, Jesus, I forgot to thank you for healing me. And Jesus said, wow, where are the nine? It was ten, wasn't it? It was ten of them. Because he said, where are the nine, right? Hey, but, you know, if there were ten, there were seven. Can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, there were, he said, where are the nine? There's so few that return glory to God. Oh, what a grateful people we ought to be. How we ought to thank him, count, you know, count your blessings. But most of all, for the relationship. Then petition. This is petition. You know, uh, 
1 John 5. Don't go there today. Uh, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Uh, just look at that. And, and John is so good about this in the Gospels and in his epistles. He said, we know that we have the things that we ask of him. Oh, that's faith, isn't it, Brother Robert? <laughs> I'm like you, Brother Robert. I fail sometimes in prayer because I think God won't do it because of something lacking in me. I, I, put, I put the request out there, but I, I do an attachment with it. But, Lord, if you don't want to do it, I understand because I'm a piece of poop, you know. <laughs> right? That's not a good attachment to put with the prayer. God already knows that we don't have to attach it or... But we can say, Lord, I'm unworthy of the least of your blessings, but you're so good. Your mercy is so everlasting, Lord, and, and, and you will do it in spite of my faults and failures. So I can come to you, I can plead with you, I can ask and plead for our needs. Yes, natural things. Yes, natural things. It's not wrong to ask for natural things. But it is amazing to me why that people focus on that so much and then neglect the spiritual needs. Beloved, it should be the spiritual needs that take preeminence in our prayers and then the natural needs. Because Jesus said, your father knows that you have, take no thought. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall put on. He said, your father knows that you have these needs, and he's going to provide for you. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So that's our four things. So just kind of think about that. It, it's not that it's a... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, program that you can just program into your mind or your spirit. Okay, I did a good prayer, brother. They said I needed to adore you. I did that. I did Thanksgiving, Lord. I, I did this. I did petition. So, Lord, hit, there you go. Enjoy the perfect prayer, God. No, it's not like that. It's just a pattern of how we see that the saints prayed, that Jesus prayed, that we have heard what God has said, and our response is based upon what he has said. That's the end goal in prayer. To pray according to his will. Now, so a fourfold activity and then a threefold activity. It's amazing to me. This is the second point. The second point. A threefold activity. That when we learn about prayer in scriptures, that it involves the Godhead. It involves all of the Godhead. It's not just an activity with the Father. It's not just an activity with the Son. It's not just an activity with the Holy Spirit. But as those three are one in so many things, so in prayer, it is a threefold triune activity. First of all, we pray to the Father who has chosen us. Amen. Jesus told, showed us that great example. When you pray, pray in this manner. And that's how it begins it, right? Our Father. I'm so glad, Brother Kevin, that he said he didn't say my Father. 
He could have because he's only got one son, right? The only begotten son except those that have been adopted. <laughs> Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And so Jesus said, he's your father too. As much as he is the son's father, he is my father. So what do you imagine when you pray? Where, where do you imagine yourself as you go in prayer? I imagine myself at a throne, a glorious throne that I've been allowed to come up to and kneel before. And then after kneeling, I'm invited to come sit in my dad's lap, sit in my dad's arms and whisper in his ear, the God, the eternal God, the king of the universe has invited me there and has never said, put it on voicemail, Nate. I'll answer it later. Sorry, I can't talk right now. Can I call you back later? But every time my whole life that I've beseeched his heart, his ear, Open arms, open heart, open ear, hands ready to help. The intercessor is there. We go to our Father who has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He adopted us and He gave us as a special people to His Son. So He has a vested, a vested interest in you and me and in our prayers. He that has chosen us has chosen us in particular. Jesus said, John 15, 16, You have not chosen me, but what? I have chosen you, that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatsoever you ask in my Father's name, He'll give it to you. Amen. It will be given unto you. Why? Because He chose you before the foundation of the world and He gave you to Christ. He made you accepted in the beloved. He chose you specifically, personally, not just a lump of humanity that He just cut out and said, okay, here they are. But He told Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I, I knew you, I had plans for you, I had purposes for you. And it is with every one of the blood-bought children of God and God has chosen you, the Father has chosen you, He's going to move in your heart through the Spirit and the things that He teaches you and that you go through to pray for things that are going to accomplish His eternal, ordained counsel and will and decrees. That's powerful. It's amazing. That's mind-boggling. So we must call on the Father. That does not mean, beloved, that you can't address Jesus in your prayers. You can address Jesus in your prayers. God the Father receives that. Just as the Son receives the prayers to the Father. He's there. The intercessor, the man of God's right hand. They're receiving that prayer together. You can call upon Him as they did in the days of His flesh. And the Holy Spirit also may be addressed in prayer. They are one God. They are three persons in one. We pray in the name of the Son, we pray in the name of the Son, seeking His mediation, seeking 
His intercession because He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has given us access to that throne of grace through the blood that is on the mercy seat. He is the one that lives daily to make intercessions for us. Not only are we praying to God, but Jesus is praying to the Father for us. And we heard Him, even in the days of His flesh, pray to the Father for us. Oh, that high priestly prayer, if you haven't read it in a while. John 17. Read it again. Oh, I love what Brother Zach said about that, that, that Jesus doesn't say one bad thing about the church. <laughs> so many things, bad things He could have said about us, but not one bad thing. It was all wonderful things as He prays for us to the Father. And you want to know what to pray for? Look at Jesus' prayer there. What, did, what things did Jesus pray for? Pray for those things too. Did he pray for him to send laborers into the harvest? Did he pray for things to be revealed to babes? Yes, did he pray that we might be one and have unity together? That we might be with him forever? One day that we might make a difference in this world? For the glory of God. Did he pray for those things? Yes. We pray through his name. Through his mediation. Through his intercession. Because beloved as the father chose us. The son is the one who has redeemed us. He shed his blood for us. He nailed our sins to his cross. He atoned for us. He paid the ransom price. He rescued us from sin and death and hell. He has reconciled us to God. How could we not pray in His name? We must in Jesus' name. In His authority. And His authority has given us the right to come to the Father through Him. Not through ourselves. Not through our merit. But through His merit. We have been accepted in Him. We must pray in Him. And then the Holy Spirit. We pray through the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I will sing with the Spirit. I will pray with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, even sometimes, Romans 8, 26. I love this. I don't know if you've ever felt this in prayer. But it came to a point where you were just out of words. You were out of will. You were out of gas. Maybe you were so tired or you were so hurt. The words wouldn't come. But hallelujah, they're paraclete. That one who comes alongside our comforter and God in this life. The one who lives within, lifts us up and groans for us to God. Hallelujah. It's a threefold triune activity. It's not something that you're doing by yourself. <laughs> You've got company. The best of company when you're in prayer when you're in fellowship with God you are in fellowship with the father you are in fellowship with the son you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit it's a twofold activity it's a twofold activity our prayers number one must be fervent they must be persistent as brother Robert taught us they must be in faith amen James 5.16 The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man 
availeth much. He gives us an example of Elijah, who was a man just like us, the Bible says, right? And, and let's face it, Elijah was just like us. You remember when he was ready to give up? <laughs> he went in that cave and said, God, just, just take my life. I'm the only one left. You know, he said, you know, what are you doing here? I've got 7,000. You know, he, he was a man of like passions just like us. But he prayed. It didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed, and it rained. Effectual, fervent prayer. Be persistent. The importunate widow, right, that Jesus talks about. There was this unjust judge, and the widow, she just kept coming to him, kept coming to him, kept coming to you. He says, I don't fear God or men, but I just want you to shut up so you got what you want. But Jesus, but Jesus said, in, in God, so much better than that. But the things that God is going to do in your life, let me tell you something, he will be inquired for it. Won't he? That's why he says, you have not because you ask not. He said, seek and you'll find. Knock, it will be open to you. Ask, it shall be given to you full measure, pressed down. Hallelujah. So the first part is to be fervent, to be persistent. To be faithful in prayer. But the second part, the second part of the two-fold activity is that at the same time as we're fervent, persistent, and have faith, we must be submissive to God's will and to God's plan. Because, beloved, we can get it wrong. Right? We, we, we got to be, what I'm saying is be careful what you ask for. Be careful how you ask it. Because it's just like, but we see in Jesus, don't we, so much in Gethsemane. We see the weakness of the disciples. As Jesus began to feel that weight of his mediation and, and the wrath of God began to be placed upon him for our sins, he was so burdened down. I really believe that Jesus, this is my opinion, I believe that Jesus did not think as a man he was going to endure physically. He knew it because of who God was. But the flesh, you know, he began to feel that and knew what all that he was going to endure. He, knew he had to go to God as a man. And he said, y'all come with me, my three, my three prayer partners. Come with me. And he left and he said, y'all pray for me. And pray that ye enter not into temptation. Right, he went out forward. Oh, such a beautiful, yet wretched scene, right? In Gethsemane, Jesus just falling headlong on his face. Pouring out his heart to his Father. Sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Coming back to his prayer warriors, to his, to his, to his squad, to his crew. And they were there, and boy, they were praying too. They were sweating too. They were... They were, uh, had his back. Is that right? <laughs> he found him snoozing away. He said, what? Could you not watch with me? Just the one, I just needed you for one hour. <laughs> right, I just... I just needed you for one hour. He said, sleep on. 
sleep on. He knew it was time for him to walk the winepress of the wrath of God alone. And oh, his words stir me when he says, The prince of this world cometh, but he hath no part in me. I am he. I'm ready to be offered. But we know in the garden, though, some of that greatest agony before the angels came and succored him and strengthened him in his spirit and his flesh. Hallelujah. The Father was there and heard him and sent him that heavenly help. But he said, Father, if it be possible, let there be another way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Do you see what I'm saying? It's fervent. It's persistent. It's faithful. Yet it's balanced with thy, Lord, if this isn't right, if what I'm praying for isn't right, Lord, please do your will. Do what it should be done, Lord, if I pray amiss. Right? Twofold activity. Fervent, persistent faith, but submissive to God's will and to God's plan. And then lastly, one active goal. One active goal here. Four, three, two, one. One active goal. One active goal is that God might use our prayers as means to bring His sovereign will to pass. So I'll repeat what I said at the beginning because so many people have it confused. There is no tension, absolutely no tension, between God's sovereign ordained decrees and wills and the efficacy of the prayers of His people. That's so beautiful to me. There's no tension there. It works in perfect harmony together that God through the Holy Spirit shapes what we say to be in response to what He has said. In other words, you and I are asking God to do what He's already said He's going to do anyway. Hallelujah. And so to close, look at this beautiful scene in heaven in Revelation 8 and wonder in awe and in mystery about what's going on in heaven right now. God on His throne, Christ, the God-man at His right hand and the spirits of God there in, in the heavenlies, beloved. And as we have prayed this morning and daily, hourly, as God's people pray, look at this. John got a view, and it said in verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given to him much incense that he should offer it with what? The prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angels' hands. I believe that's real. I believe that's real, beloved. Beloved, let's have Sweet fellowship with God. Let's put smoke on the altar. May the Lord bless you and keep you as I pray.